Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. He spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and smeared the clay on his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back able to see. His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is. But others said, No, he just looks like him. He said, I am. They brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on a Sabbath. So then the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. He said to them, He, he, he put clay on, on, on my eyes, and, uh, and I washed, and, and now I can see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you have to say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. They answered and said to him, You were born totally in sin, and are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. When Jesus heard that he had been thrown out, he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who, who, who is he, sir, that, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord. And he worshipped him. The Gospel of the Lord. It's a beautiful gospel and one I took great delight in studying and now hopefully explaining as we go through this. But before I begin even, I want to just highlight a couple points. First, you might know and recall that in John's gospel, which we are looking and studying today, he never refers to miracles, strictly speaking, as miracles. He always refers to them as signs because... 
there is so much more they signify beyond the appearance of what happens on the surface. They signify something more spiritual that's happening in our lives today. So we have to ask ourselves, what does this healing of the blind man signify for us? Some scripture scholars, in fact, many today would suggest that one thing this signifies is what the early Christian community tried to recall as the story that reminds us what we all need to go through in our baptismal commitment to Christ. In fact, the scholars suggest that this was used and interpreted as a baptismal catechetical teaching for their preparation for the Easter vigil, where they enter into their baptismal waters that would give them true enlightenment of faith to see who Jesus was, so that the man born blind who was healed would be a model for all catechumens and Christians who understand the process of conversion for ourselves. That being said, we now look to the opening lines of the gospel. We see Jesus walking along. Jesus sees this man been blind from birth. There's something right there. Blind from birth. Nothing in himself that would provide the necessary ingredients for vision. And his disciples ask, Rabbi, was it his sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? In the Old Testament, the prevailing belief was that any illness came from God, since everything they believed came from God, both good and bad, health and sickness. Therefore, they imagine that if God allows a person to come to some sickness or disease, then that person must have done something wrong. In view of God's justice back then, they believed that person or their parents must have sinned. So the disciples are just presuming what their contemporaries presume, that somewhere along the line, somehow this man did something wrong, and that's why he is the way he is. Or perhaps his parents did something to sin against God. And Jesus loudly, clearly, and most emphatically refutes this kind of thinking. When he says, neither his parents nor this man have sinned. We need to hear this even today, because still there is this lingering thinking that somehow when something bad happens, we must have ticked God off. We must have done something bad, or if some ill fortune falls our way, or if someone, I've heard it said with people who have contracted AIDS, for instance, if their sin has brought this upon them. Well, this sets up a very bad theology. A God who is a persecutor, huh? And I don't believe that. And that's one of the distortions that needs to be healed. We need to have a greater vision of who God is. And God is not a God who hurts us, but a God who heals us. And Jesus comes to say this in earlier, another part of the gospel. He says, I have not come to condemn the world. I've come to save the world. So we see in Jesus 
the perfect vision and revelation of God. And we see him at work in this very man's life. So then Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'd like to highlight that short phrase because I believe that's the theme of this gospel story and one of the many themes of the whole gospel of St. John. Jesus is the light of the world. Apart from him, we live in darkness and all that that darkness would suggest. The evil one lingers and lives, but in the light we have love and peace and joy. Jesus brings that light into the world, into all of our lives. You can't help but think, as I can perhaps, of of the people who talk about their near-death experience as coming into that light, a light that's indescribable, a light that's more than what any fluorescent light bulb could ever suggest, a light that effuses warmth and love and inexplainable, almost indescribable life energy. That's what Jesus means when he says, I'm the light of the world, that he wants to just shine upon us. And so he then spat on the ground, made mud with his saliva, and smeared the man's eyes with mud. Or as we just hear that, it sounds revolting, doesn't it? The fact that Jesus would use his own spittle is repulsive to anybody today, but you might be interested in knowing in ancient times, they considered that a person's saliva had certain curative elements insofar as a person's certain body fluids, such as blood and saliva, carried the person's spirit. And it's the spirit of Jesus that has such healing power as he anoints him, blesses him on the eyes. Then Jesus said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Now this name, Siloam, means one who has been sent. So the man went off and washed and came back able to see. Wow, he'd never been able to see all his life. John here is making a subtle, a beautiful connection between the name Siloam, meaning one who has been sent, with Jesus, who is referred to throughout his gospel as the one who was sent from God, who comes to wash away our sin that blinds us, so that he could give us the vision of God's love. And it's in that love that we discover everything is new, a new creation of God. I have my friend Dave here, and I'll never forget, Dave was, for whatever reason, he never had his eyes checked for years and years and years. And Betsy took him one time to the doctors to have his eyes checked, and they gave him a prescription for glasses that were long overdue. At first day, Dave said he came back, and all he said all day long was, wow! <laughs> I can't believe all that I've been missing all these years. Can you imagine what this man must have felt? Something like that even more because he never had seen anything. And now can you see what the Lord wants to reveal to all of us? We have hardly a fraction of the vision of all that God is and all that we could be. All that this world is as a reflection of God's great goodness. And so this is what the Lord is trying to open us up to see. 
Now, as we look at this man, we might see ourselves, hopefully, and this desire to see through the eyes of Jesus in the light of the Lord. And we will see now as we follow the rest of the story that he not only is healed physically, but more important, especially for John's community, he is healed spiritually of a spiritual blindness as he comes to faith that gives us the greatest insight into who God is. And we will, uh, if I can delineate, four encounters he had with four different people that gave him new insight, just as we might imagine. Our encounters and experiences with people and events in life give us new insight through hindsight. The first people that encounter this man once born blind, but now who can see, are the neighbors. His neighbors and people who have been accustomed to see him. Now think of this in a kind of how we think we see people and understand them, put them in a certain block and have prejudice about them. And they ask, isn't this the fellow who used to sit here and beg? Finally, the man himself said, yes, I'm the one, all right. And then they said to him, well, how are your eyes open? And he answered, that man they call Jesus healed me. At this point, we see that the blind man saw Jesus only as a man. Extraordinary man, but as a human. And now, from this point, his faith will grow, but not easily. He will grow as often our faith grows through a struggle of encounters with other people that will challenge him and contest everything he states and believes especially the next people called the Pharisees. Keep in mind, the Pharisees were the religious lay group of the day who were the enlightened ones because they'd studied the scriptures and they thought they knew it. They saw it the way you should see it, and they called a spade a spade and a sin a sin. And they were a righteous people, righteous people, unfortunately, as we will learn, self-righteous more than God right. Next, they took the man who had been born blind to the Pharisees. And they began to inquire how he recovered his sight. Some of the Pharisees asserted, This man cannot be from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Notice now, the Pharisees are the blind ones who do not see Jesus for who he truly was. And then they, the Pharisees, addressed the blind man. What do you have to say about him? The blind man, now can see, said, He is a prophet. Can you see the man's vision improving? Calling now that Jesus is a prophet from God. John is setting up this contrast between the man born blind, who could not see but now is healed, with the Pharisees who thought they could see so perfectly, they were just growing increasingly blind through the cataracts of their own pride and prejudice. We have to beware of the Pharisee in you and me. The tendency to think we see it so perfectly and fail to recognize our own blind spots. The man is led to his parents. They summoned the parents to the man who could now see, and they asked him, 
How can you account for the fact that he can now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son. We know that he was blind at birth. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes? We have no idea. Ask him. What's in parentheses is a commentary. To this point, we're told, as John writes, his parents answered in this fashion because they were afraid of the Jews who had already agreed that anyone who acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. In fact, not at the time of Jesus, but later in the early 2nd century, when John's community was writing in this gospel and reading it, we know that the Christians were being expelled from the synagogue if they proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. So you see how they are reading into this gospel and understanding how it applies to them as we would want to look through that same kind of perspective, asking and wondering how this applies to us. We have to see that sometimes, like the parents of the blind men, we are afraid to look at truth as it truly is and what it calls us to see and stay, to be and become. But the man himself, again, who is a model disciple, has, even under the criticism of the Pharisees, speaks boldly. He says, if this man were not from God, he could never have done such a thing. And with that, the Pharisees threw him out bodily. He represents those Christians that saw Jesus as Messiah and spoke out the truth, professed their faith boldly, and were expelled from the synagogue. Now, to keep in mind, it wasn't just a matter of being kicked out of their church quotes, but out of their whole family and their whole community would have been to be totally alienated from any sense of their economic security and well-being. So paying the great price for truth. You know, anyone is only that he recognizes Jesus as a great prophet. He's becoming a prophet, one who speaks the truth, tells it as he sees it and says it as it is. And then we come to the fourth encounter, the most beautiful encounter, the blind man with Jesus himself, who, when Jesus heard of the man's expulsion, Jesus sought him out and asked him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And the man answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Would that we ask the question, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is what always leads us to greater insight the greater spiritual vision. And then Jesus said, you have seen him. I think there's a reason he uses this very word, you have seen him. You've experienced him. You know him. He is speaking to you now. And the man says, I do believe. You see, believing is seen. And then he bowed down to worship him. And that's the proof of his recognition that he saw Jesus as truly the Son of God, for he bowed down to worship him. There is the great insight. And so his sight leads him to stand before Jesus. This is what we want to come to, is to see Jesus, see Jesus, and see through the eyes of Jesus how he looks on us and looks on others and looks on our life. 
Now, ironically, the whole gospel ends by the Pharisees asking the question, and pay attention to the use of irony here that John the evangelist loves to use. They ask Jesus, do you think that we are blind? And Jesus, in effect, says, you're worse than blind because you even refuse to see. It's one thing to be blind, but it's even worse to refuse any insight to see it all. Remember the gospel began then by the disciples asking the question, is this blindness caused by sin? John ends this gospel by saying, no, this physical blindness is not caused by sin, but spiritual blindness is. Spiritual blindness is caused by sin, and this is the sin that Jesus wants to cure. This is the blindness that Jesus wants to heal. So what a great story, huh? I would like to offer in my reflection three insights to help us see. My first insight and suggestion is that we would all admit, or we would all see, that we are all a little blind. That none of us can claim to always see the full picture or have the full understanding. That all of us almost necessarily work from a limited viewpoint. Just as when we drive a car, you know how we say we all have a, a certain blind spot. And you need to compensate for that by being sure you look over your left back shoulder before you change a lane. If you don't, you know you're going to crash. I think the same is true in life. Unless we make allowance for our blind spots, we will come crashing, colliding with other people, and worse yet, with God and God's will for our life. Let me use other names for blindness so we could try this on in different ways. The synonym of blindness for me would be stubbornness, closed or narrow-mindedness. We all know people who are blind to their piece of the truth but can't hear anybody else's. Arrogance, pride or prejudice. Isn't that one of the worst ways of not seeing people as God sees? Prejudice or pride. Pride that makes us feel superior, or worse yet, one of the most common causes of poor vision today is a sense of inferiority. Not seeing our self-worth as God sees us so wonderfully and lovingly. Perhaps worst of all, the worst form of blindness as I read this gospel is the lack of faith. A faith that alone gives us God's vision. Jesus, who is the light. Without that light, we are in total darkness. We would only see this life as what it's all about, not with an eternal perspective that puts everything else in a very clear light and perspective. This faith is what we must come to grow in, much like the man born blind. So I would ask the question, do you recognize your own blind spots? And do you make compensation for that? And where do you go for insight? Which leads to my second point. I believe we need to ask Jesus, who says he is the light of the world, for his insight. Jesus will give us this insight as true as he gave it to the man in the gospel. 
We are that man born blind. We're born with a handicap, a human condition, the needing divine intervention for God to show us the way, all the way through life. And we look for his guidance. As much as a blind man would need the guidance of another to walk him along. We have that guidance through the Bible. That's why we study this gospel. We are most enlightened. We see it and receive it through prayer. And we ask for God's light to come to us. We see it and receive it through many and various inspirational people and material. And the resources are as wide as this world. I especially find that Jesus gives us insight through the significant people in our life, especially our family and our close friends who know us and love us and see us from an objective perspective. We need to, I believe, seek them out and ask for their honest feedback and for their critical suggestions. We need to go to them to ask and trust that God will speak to us through them. What I'm saying is encouraging us to take time. If you're making any decision about anything, stop and ask first for Jesus' insight. Believe me, he wants to give it to you. As sure as he gave sight to the blind man. And he will do this in a very simple way through insights intuitions, realizations, most especially, he will speak through the people who know us and love us. Finally, this is an important one and a hard one, I think, to hear and to do. Looking at the parents in this gospel, their mistake was that they did not have tough love. Speak the truth as they knew it and had to say it. But in order not to cause waves and make any difficulties, and worst of all, to cause any more trouble to themselves, they backed off and kept their mouths shut. I believe these parents represent many of us, if not all of us, time to time, even in our own family, in our workplace, in our own world, when we fail to speak the truth to one another in love. We need to speak Honestly, with humility, and always with charity and sensitivity, the truth in love. The only exception I would make is sometimes we can foresee that to speak truth could only be counterproductive. And in such a case, I think we're better off not speaking out. But more often than not, I believe the truth sets us free. It certainly did for this blind man. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.